I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After a short summer break, the Parts Unknown podcast is back for season two. In a bid to refresh my stale character, I've gone for a gimmick change, bro. You can now call me Matt Davis Adams. That's right, in a break from wrestling convention, I've added a name. Take that, Antonio Cesaro. Take that, Alexander Rusev. Take that, Adrian Neville. WWE headed to the mecca of professional wrestling, Madison Square Garden, for the third time in its WrestleMania history in 2004, for Mania 20, which followed the first and tenth Manias as Garden shows. The 20th anniversary was an event that lasted four and a half hours, featured 12 matches, and Donald Trump being interviewed ringside by Jesse Ventura. Amongst the notable in-ring happenings, Goldberg and Lesnar get booed out the building on their last night with the company, surely enough to put them off ever returning. There's a bloody triple threat that's either a classic or a legitimate horror story to close the show. The Rock and the Nature Boy ham it up to widow twanky levels. The Doctor of Thugonomics makes his WrestleMania debut. Kurt and Eddie go at it for the WWE title. And Rob Conway. Here to shave the metaphorical locks with me. That'll make sense by the end of the show, I promise. Superstar Anton Tolui. Hello, mate. And carry the brain done. Hello. JR and Jerry Lawler were on commentary for Raw with Michael Cole and Taz on SmackDown duty. So we get the world-renowned Boys Choir of Harlem singing America the Beautiful. It's a step up from the usual warble fest, but it wouldn't end well for this plucky group of young singers. They disbanded after allegations of sexual misconduct and running up a $5 million debt. Fortunately, though, nothing like that would ever happen in the world of wrestling. To the matches then. First up, we've got to talk about Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar, just because it's so funny. Both chaps have made it clear that this will be their last match with the company. Goldberg's one-year run had been a flop, and Brock decided he fancied a career in the NFL. Steve Austin was the special ref for a match which saw the crowd mercilessly berate both wrestlers whilst they stood and posed for a bit, trying and failing to conceal their contempt for the situation. Carrie, wipe the tears from your cheeks and tell us just how bizarre this was. It was really weird. The whole thing was weird, and it was weird in a retrospect listening to Brock Lesnar Lesnar talk because he doesn't do that anymore and just hearing his voice in like actual sentences and not just kind of his usual bon mot uh, being sarcastic at Paul Heyman was so strange and I was saying earlier I think it's really also weird to see Goldberg looking basically the same age as he does now he, he's always looked really old how has that happened it's just very strange well, it's all just yeah bizarre um, and the, the, the hype video for this made me excited about Stone Cold versus Brock Lesnar, not <laughs> Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg, because Stone Cold was in it throughout confronting Lesnar. So even the even the hype video felt like a stitch up. Never mind actually what was going on in the ring. Who was the heel? Who was the face? And have two men ever been less enthused about going to work in ever? Well, I don't know. I worked at KFC when I was seventeen, <laughs> so yes, I have. Um, there was a lot of pacing around and no action in the build-up, apart from the occasional arm lock. It looked like an angry Morris dance, didn't it, in the way, which without the sticks, and the sticks would have been better. It, 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 it was utterly bizarre. I mean, it was. It, I think it's a fascinating insight into what these two guys are like when they aren't happy, and you've seen it in matches that Brock and, and Goldberg have been in sort of pre- and post-this. When they are not invested in a match... Yeah, you, know, you can tell you know, there's real contempt amongst them. But put them together, God, it's an awful storm, isn't it? Carrie, this match was ten minutes longer and ten times worse 
than their match at WrestleMania 33. Watching this back, and I remember watching it at the time, you'd never have thought, well, in, you know, X amount of years' time, over a decade later, they'll do something much better than this at WrestleMania. Yeah, I can't imagine me sitting there then and thinking, oh, what I definitely want to see in 14 years' time is this again, then both 14 years older. Oh, yeah, it was just, yeah... It was just, it's just a bizarre setup. It was a bizarre match. And yeah, contempt is a really good word. I don't like saying that the people don't want to be at work and they're not kind of bothering, but that is exactly how it looked. I thought, I thought the match of Survivor Series in what, 2016 is interesting because if I'd have watched this close to it, I'd have thought, oh God, here we go, what's going on? But actually that match was pretty good because it was, it was over very quickly and it was a surprise the way it was, you know, it was all built up around the fantasy warfare and... Luckily, the crowd forgot this stinker, I think. Otherwise, the computer game wouldn't have sold, which is what it was based around. And, you know, and and we wouldn't have really bought into the Goldberg return. And there were still people suggesting that he could still make a return in the the not so distant future. So, God, I mean, it was it even the even the moves were just predictable, wasn't it? You know, you had. Even when they put on a sleeper hold them to slow it down, I was just like, "Really, we're going to make this slower, are we? We're going to we're going to continue this." And then spear two count, F five two counts, and of course the obligatory stunners at the end. Just thinking, right, why, 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 why who script? Who, well, we know who scripted this, but why, why, why are we doing this? Um, you mentioned the obligatory stunners at the end. What was Stone Cold's role in this? It, it felt to me like he just went, "I'm washing my hands of this. All the best, lads." I always kind of think that with Stone Cold Steve Austin, though. He's kind of like, oh, he's he's kind of added on to try and get some kind of reaction from something that isn't happening. And he hits the targets that he needs to hit. He's hitting his mark. OK, what do people expect now? Do the beer, do the stunners, leave everyone happy after just watching that, however long it was of absolute awfulness. So, yeah, that's what, that was what his role was, I think. So Brock was supposed to get the win, but he gave them a week's notice to say he was leaving, so they let Goldberg win the match. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on to the title bouts. We'll start with the match that closed the show as Chris Benoit won the World Heavyweight Championship from Triple H in a triple threat match, also involving Shawn Michaels. Anton, we've spoken about Chris Benoit in depth on, on previous episodes, so we won't go too deep into that, but... It was really notable that the crowd were massively behind him here. We, how are you able to, to watch these matches in, in retrospect? Can you, can you put that from your mind? It's so difficult. It's really difficult. I mean, awkward is the only word that comes to mind when I watch this match back for so many reasons. And obviously the moment at the end as well, we'll probably get to in a moment. So, But then you're right. Benoit's pop when he when he when he came into the arena was huge, and it was justified. This is a guy that was you know just brilliant in WCW, brilliant was sort of you know on the main roster in WWE. Yeah, he deserved this. It was all built up nicely, kind of like a like a grizzly Daniel Bryan story, effectively to this moment. So, but it's really difficult to mentally get yourself back to that point as a fan back in two thousand and four for obvious reasons because of what happened afterwards, and when you see. You know, the bumps he took, you know, it's, it's, there's a great table where he goes through the table, Triple H puts him through the table at one point, and it looks fantastic. And then you just think, I can't, I can't, I can't feasibly actually sort of get my head around this. Again, the usual diving headbutt, which we've mentioned before. I, again, I, ca- I cannot watch that and not just think, in any way, tiny, tiny play, did that play into the huge, huge mental problems he had, the concussion problems, the the brain of a, was it 75 year old, 85 year old Alzheimer's patient? There was just so much you can't watch this match and not just think, I feel uncomfortable. Carrie, do you think that they put Shawn Michaels in this because they didn't think that Benoit Triple H was a big enough match in and of itself? 
Potentially. I mean, the whole Mr. WrestleMania thing was kind of at its zenith at this point as well. So, you know, had to put him in somewhere. And uh, Triple H and HBK always have that kind of that kind of chemistry thing going on. And yeah, I think there's always um, a certain amount of nerves about putting, and let's put inverted commas, a cruiserweight uh, in, in, in a main event. You know, Vince has always been a bit funny about that, as we've seen in recent years. So yeah, I think possibly it's uh, not trusting the smaller guys to, to, to main events still. And a lot slower as well, couldn't it? Yeah. If, if if Shawn Michaels wasn't there, especially at the beginning. I thought Michaels... And also, there was a there, the feud around the Rumble was, was Michaels versus Triple H so at least it had a continuation it wasn't just crowbarring someone in to try to make it more entertaining or get more rating it's funny you say that and one of the things that I've noted from this whole show is the way that they have really long builds for so many of these stories and it all makes sense I mean, imagine that I mean I can't remember the last time I watched a pay-per-view and think oh this has been going on for you know six months a year this all makes sense to me it hasn't been shoehorned in because they've got to think of something for these people to do it all makes logical sense Difficult to find any levity in this match, but just to, to, to wrap it up, I think we, we can certainly do that with Triple H's white boots. Well, and how small he looks compared to how he does now. You know, this he looks... Always got the build of a Cody Rhodes, and especially with the white and that kind of thing. It's very sort of... looks very different now, doesn't he? Mm. The ending as well is heartbreaking, with Benoit and Guerrero celebrating together. Mm. And you're just thinking, my God, like, three, four years' time, life is very very different and it's a much darker place so this was the last match on and, we, and as Anton said we get we get the ending with the um, the ticker tape the incredibly poignant image of Benoit and, and Eddie Guerrero hugging in the ring um, and that's because early in the night Eddie Guerrero retained the WWE title against Kurt Angle Anton sort of alluded to it there, Carrie, but this is another match which is quite heartbreaking to watch 14 years later isn't it it is but I guess what we're watching Eddie Guerrero matches is sad kind of in a different way, in a kind of like, yes, he's gone too soon, but at least you haven't got that kind of undercurrent of absolute horror as well as the tragedy. You kind of watch those matches and you can still kind of feel happy for what he did, what he did achieve during his career. And uh, yeah, I thought, I thought it was really nice. And I thought some of the um, backstage vignettes that he did were, were really nice. The ones he did with, with Benoit trying to G him up for the main event, that was absolutely lovely. And yes, I know, you know, Guerrero's character, we've talked about it before, the lie, cheat, steal thing. I just, I thought WrestleMania 20 was kind of a really nice encapsulation of all the good stuff in Eddie Guerrero's character. And I think it was, yeah, really lovely to watch. And the other half of this match was Kurt Angle. Um, Brilliant in the build-up here, in the hype packages. I'd forgotten how much I loved Psycho Kurt Angle. He can turn his hands to pretty much anything. He doesn't have to be the, uh, you know, the the, the GM who, who... takes a, a beat a verbal beating from his boss and a constable <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love heel kurt is absolutely fantastic he looks so focused like you know you can because you can believe he would be that focused from his olympic past but also just because he's become this bad guy and this sort of while i want to just hurt you but also just the the way i mean there's what well, was quite a classic build you know you'll be a disgrace and a shame as as w champ, wwe champion that's effectively what kurt was saying to to eddie in the build up and eddie was arrested and how many times have we seen this but because kurt and eddie were so good and yeah it was just entertaining it was fun and they had they had enough time to build up the rivalry between the two i loved it i really enjoyed it and I, I even and you know the match itself was fun you know, and neither of these guys tend to have bad matches and it wasn't the longest match of the night by any stretch really but it was it was entertaining. It wasn't it wasn't balanced or it wasn't a classic, but it was, it was an entertaining match. With a, I really really enjoyed the ending, and the ending was just pure Eddie. 
And this sort of 12 to 18 month period, I think we look back at it now, is really the golden age of SmackDown, isn't it? When you had the SmackDown six as was and then supplemented with the likes of Brock and Undertaker and Paul Heyman as general manager. It was a really, really good show at that point. It was a really good show. And it's um, a little bit sad to see how it declined after that and the kind of idea that it was the B show. Because, you know, as, as you say, at this point, it's, it certainly wasn't. It was probably, I don't know, they probably wouldn't say it was, but it, in terms of quality, I'd say it was the A show then. Absolutely. So that's the big three matches done and dusted. Lots more to get through on a noteworthy show. Stick around. It'll all begin again, again, next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As a run-in in the Parts Unknown studio, Carl Anker, who are you here to uh, to DDT or stunt? Randy Orton's not here. This <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is. <laughs> Carl, you missed the beginning. I know you um, really, really love the main event, the triple threat match here. We- we've all had our say on it in that it was sort of great, but sort of horrible. Um, a lot of blood. Oh, yeah. This is an incredibly violent time for all of WWE. Uh, especially Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is good at bleeding, knows how to bleed, occasionally messes up terribly and gets way too much for Crimson Moss. I've said it before, this triple threat is one of my favourite matches in WWE history. It's probably the best male triple threat in WWE history up until 2015, the Royal Rumble match with Seth Rollins, Brock Lesnar and John Cena. And it's got one of those things that they very rarely get right in triple threat matches where it's not one person gets ejected from the ring and it's just two people fighting and then the other person jumps in. There's the growing sense of Benoit coming into this match who is not meant to be an afterthought. Triple H and Shawn Michaels begin to realise this guy can legitimately beat them and then they have to both team up, get rid of Benoit and then Benoit comes in and then it's incredibly difficult for me to say but JR's commentary right at the end. Chris Benoit's 18-year odyssey has finally culminated in the WWE World Heavyweight Championship is up there with some of the greater commentary calls in wrestling history. The ending is up there with some of the better photography in WWE history. But as I said before on the WrestleMania 23 podcast, um, they do a rematch at Backlash. Chris Benoit wins again. Uh, and then when I watched this match recently, my brother had to run downstairs because I was screaming in fear because it ends with Chris Benoit hugging his wife and children. Um, and I recommend everyone to go out and listen to the episode of the Chris Jericho podcast where they discuss Chris Benoit. Um, they talk to Nancy's sister and they talk about Nancy Benoit because all too often we're talking about Chris Benoit and his effect and 
we forget that Nancy Benoit was an amazing woman. She also had a wrestling career. She was known as woman in the WCW. She met Chris and she is far too special and her family is far too special to just be reduced to a weird footnote quasi meme in wrestling history. Um, and that's my two cents. We talked about the poignancy of the Eddie and Benoit celebration at the end. The Eddie and Kurt match, we were lavishing praise on Psycho Killer, heel Kurt Angle, and the fact that he got his brother Eric involved in the build-up and all that kind of stuff. Maybe not as good a match as you would have hoped, but the build was amazing. Oh, the build's fantastic. It's it's really interesting how both of those main event matches at 20 are treated as quasi-shoot fights. So at the start of the triple threat, uh, Hebner's doing the pat down and touching everyone's boots and explaining the rules and you get a similar stare down at between Guerrero and Angle and something that the build to that is amazing and then you get that really odd very sad thing when Kurt Angle's talking about how Eddie Guerrero can't be a champion because he has drug problems and then Guerrero comes out you can see the spots in his back Kurt Angle is an inch or so taller because he still has a neck and you, understand, you remember all the problems Kurt Angle has with his neck problems, and you re- think about things about how both of those two men, when they were injured, rushed themselves back from injury because they were terrified of John Cena taking their spot. I love Eddie Guerrero. I think he's one of the greatest in-ring performers in wrestling history, and I think his ending of how he undoes his boots, slips in, and beats Kurt Angle is one of the larger formative moments of my life. That's wonderful, isn't it? It's uh, the idea that you can be smaller, looked down upon, mocked for all the mistakes you make, but actually you're smarter than the big boys and that you can absolutely do them on the biggest stage and embarrass them all and just laugh about it uh, is probably why I'm the way I am today <laughs> right we'll move on elsewhere we got a two on three handicap match between the rock and sock connection and evolution and um, it was supposed to be a legitimate grudge match but it descended into fast before picking up again a bit at the finish on one side three quarters of evolution rick flair the intercontinental champ randy orton who is very much front and center here but front and center right now is the star of the forthcoming oscar-winning film final score big dave batista um has everybody seen the trailer for this can't wait yeah it looks amazing die hard at upton park (laughs) (laughs) cannot wait um the basis of this feud was the beef between foley and orton the terrific angle which would peak at backlash the next month where orton won a brutal hardcore match um is it time for some randy love yeah let's let carl have first go at that (laughs) this is good this is a match i completely forgot happened um because reasons i thought the rock's final wrestlemania match was 19 and then you see him in these weird little goatee and almost fade at the top and it, it's a really nice one uh recognition of how much the rock and mick foley adored each other and two like a proper like, oh yeah this this new stable evolution they're, they're more than just rick flair or triple h's lackeys they've got real character here they've got real ruthless aggression as it were um rick flair in red tights so i'm spending the whole match expecting him to lose but which makes the finish that much more appealing because I'm like, wait, wait, hello. Um, Carl likes it, Anton. I thought that Flair and Rock kind of took this away from being a good match to a silly match. We've got a little glimpse into the future of, of the great one rambling on at Mania in his, in his pre-match promo. And it just got a little bit panto between those two for me. Well, I thought, because Flair takes a back body drop and an elbow quite early, I thought that they were going to funk him. I thought he was done. And then they'll let, you know, Orson and Batista take he's over. Had, he's had funk him, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> Don't put the E on, producer Ben. There's, there's no need. But, yeah, it was mainly just Flair and Rock going at it in this match. And it was it was fun. 
But my favourite part was actually the uh, Orton promo before. I mean, it was very kind of it was very sort of scripted, multi take kind of promo from one camera, but just cut from different angles and that kind of thing. But and we saw on SmackDown recently. Orton could cut, cut a good promo when he's invested, and he hasn't done it for a long time in the current product. But at, the, at this time, he was hot, and this is this is the Orton you want to see. The you know, I'm the guy. I will punt whoever gets in my way. You know, and it was the, the promo is what two minutes long, and it's just him talking. Yeah, you know, it's the other guy standing next to him, and he, they look great. You know, this is the staircase I punted further down the stairs, and great. That is the Orton I want to see. That that's why he, that's part of the reason why Evolution worked really well, and this is. That actually kind of covers a decent, a decent match, but I'm more invested in it because of the build-up. I'm going to agree with you on that in terms of the promo because I, I also kind of noted how good I thought that was. I'm not sure it's not that he's not invested in the bad promos that he does now. I think he's he's just left to his own devices more. I think he just loses his thread. He starts to ramble and he starts to repeat himself, or he just gets lost in the middle of a sentence. See, when it's kind of pre-recorded. He's got the chance to kind of think about what he's saying. He's got the lines given to him. And yes, it was really convincing. Uh, it's a bit odd with kind of Batista and Flair kind of flanking him. Flair pointed to some stairs when he said stairs, just to show what stairs are in case you weren't quite <laughs> sure. But I re- did really enjoy this bit. I thought Orton's, Orton had a character. It was really yeah. exciting. I was pleased for him. I, in, in, I in 2018, I'm excited a little bit more about Orton because, like I said, on SmackDown recently, he made his return as a bad guy clearly sort of getting ready for a, for a feud against Hardy and then you presume eventually against Nakamura and it seems as though his, his, his promo was excellent it really was excellent from, compared to what he's done over the last probably five years really you can do it when he's focused that carry your point about how he, sometimes he gets lost there are numerous YouTube botchamanias where Randy Orton very clearly forgets his line there's the video where he comes on uh, talks walks up to Sheamus cuts a promo and then partway through goes to Sheamus what's my line again? Seamus tells him his line and then shakes his head in just utter dismay at Randy Orton's either disinterest or unprofessionalism. But turned on, switched on Randy Orton doing I'm just going to ruin your whatever you smarks like is great because that's what Randy Orton seems to be in real life. So when Randy Orton cut the recent promo on SmackDown and he made the comment about I don't need to risk my life diving off and doing stuff, referencing his weird twitter spat when he was the last last time he was the champion like yeah that's who you are just be who you are a slightly smug slightly dim clang nut <laughs> i was just gonna say season two of parts unknown and we are flipping the script and being all positive about randy orton but you killed it at the end there Carl. um last thing on this doctor you know how much i love mick foley i thought he sold the agony of defeat beautifully here with his facial expressions he did i think that's probably genuine agony as his body <laughs> begins to break apart to, to become the wreck that we know that he is now but yeah i thought i thought the actual story around what we saw was actually very good in terms of the acting yes i wasn't in completely um, convinced by some of the stuff we saw in the ring but i thought the story worked well and rock's hairline was poor as well <laughs> the rock with hair is weird because obviously he used to have some, but now... They're not there, though. Yeah. That's, you know, it's just... <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> um, next up, it shows what a loaded card it was that we're only talking about this match now. John Cena makes his WrestleMania debut, winning the US title from the Big Show in the match that kicked off the Big Show. Um, Cena here using nefarious means to win after hitting show with brass knucks behind the back of referee Jimmy Corderas. Uh, Cena ever the toady came out in a New York Knicks basketball jersey. The crowd love him. He raps about Big Show. I'm itching to beat him like a penis with an STD. Um, 
Carrie, he's no Elias, is he? <laughs> That's my note. He's no, he's no Elias. No, no Elias. He hasn't got a, a, an extended EP on on Spotify, which I've listened to on repeat for the past <laughs> week. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I couldn't stop thinking about that line. It really upset me quite a lot. But hearing Let's Go Seen a Chance with yep. no dueling yeah. chant with it. And it's so strange to hear a crowd who are happy to see John Cena and they're silent to listen to his promo. They're not heckling him. He wins by cheating. Everyone's happy. He play, he's playing face in peril to a much larger man. Oh, yes, it was very, very strange. Um, he wins by cheating here, Carl. I don't want to do a whole separate podcast on this, but what's your theory as to why they never turned him heel? Is it just merch and make-a-wish? Is that the answer? Yes, uh, I'm believe he has some sort of nxt yearly giveaway now because around about 2013-14 he went out and bought traditional wrestler gear so black boots black trunks whatnot just in case they were going to pull the trigger i think this is around about the time the authority was at his peak with so the tlc bit with randy orton and there's a little bit where randy accidentally pushes steph and then john cena stands next to the authority and that was a quick like we'll try it out and apparently at this time he'd bought all the gear and was ready to, just in case, turn heel. Uh, and then right at the last minute, they nixed it. So that gear, all variations of that gear, is now given up to NXT winners of the Combine every year. It's like, there you are. This is like the gear Cena would have won if you t- turned heel. Um, but it's one of those things where every time I think you should turn heel, now it's got to the point where I don't want him to, because he's more interesting now as this weird part-timer quasi... Do you know you're a bad guy? Yeah, I mean, we shouldn't forget he's a heel, he's a heel on Total Bellas, isn't he? Well, he's, he's also he, he he hits a guy in the face with brass knucks. You're a bad guy. You are a bad guy. Just because you come to the ring like with a you know a padlock and chain around his around his neck, looking like like a lamppost instead of bike stolen from, from it. He's from Boston and he's wearing a New a York Knicks, Knicks yeah, that, jersey. Yeah. What? No. He's, he's a pandora. He's, he's a he's, classic yeah, pandora. He's the guy that always. Yeah, you know, his second team is your team. Yeah. Get out. I really, I really enjoyed his feud with uh, Kevin Owens when Kevin Owens just came out from XT and Kevin Owens was like, no, you're, you're a massive hypocrite and you do all the dastly things I do. Who are you? And I think that should be a constant thing for young people, young wrestlers coming up to face Cena. Like, not, oh, you're kind of hokey and you wear fruity pebbles and whatnot. Just like, do you know you're bad? Because that's a compelling story. Um, but instead, we'll probably get Bobby Lashley. Yeah, he contends that his middle name is um, Felix Anthony, but I think it's disingenuous. Um, <laughs> let's move on to Kane versus The Undertaker, a pretty blah match, which Taker won. Natch. Kane was annoyed because Taker had become one of you, i.e. the fans, when he went all-American badass on our asses. Um, Paul Bearer returned with Taker here, but I remember at the time there was a lot of unhappiness about the fact that he didn't go all in with going back to the dead man gimmick it was kind of a halfway house wasn't it it didn't satisfy american badass fans nor phenom fans I, I, I was, badass fans yeah i was i was with kane on this damn right like you deserve to be buried alive at survivor series for, for being the american badass it was dull it was boring and then you celebrate with limp biscuit get out i'm not having that <laughs> um kane was very cross around this time carrie because he'd had his mask taken off and uh, he wasn't particularly happy about it. Do you remember the roar when he was unmasked and his his wig came off and he just had loads of like pandery eye makeup on? Um, it was very, very funny when it was supposed to be very, very frightening. I would be cross if my makeup was that bad as well. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's fair. 
Um, in terms of the tag matches, we got the exact same thing for both brands. A sudden death, fatal four-way in which the champs retained. On the raw side of things, Booker T and RVD beat La Resistance, Rene Dupre and Rob Conway, the Dudley boys, Garrison Cade and Mark Jindrak. Um, on the SmackDown tag team side of things, we got Rikishi and Scotty Two Hotty, the champions defeating the APA, the Basham brothers and the world's greatest tag team, Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. Now, we're recording this the day after the news broke of Brian Christopher's death. He was previously part of Too Cool with Rikishi and Scotty, but had left the company by this point. Only 46 years old, another tragedy that we could see coming a mile off. Um, Scotty Too Hotty, though, is a, a kind of better story. He's a, he's a trainer at the Performance Centre at the moment. He is, and he makes occasional cameos in NXT still, which is always quite nice to see. He still does the worm in the ring. That's always always nice to see. Um yeah, this the whole match I thought was a bit strange. I genuinely thought the world's greatest tag team was Benjamin and Gable uh, just initially. <laughs> when I kind of looked at the screen, I was like, what? And it took me a little bit for my brain to actually process it. But yeah, I realised in the end. Bradshaw looked ridiculous because he was kind of mid-transition between <laughs> JBL and Bradshaw and, and was like, what's this guy doing in a wrestling match? He looks like he was here for he's, a meeting about finance. He started dating someone lovely and got a haircut and he's trying to impress them. <laughs> Isn't that weird phase your friend gets? We're like, hang on, are you... What's their name? <laughs> <laughs> um, just quickly on this, Anton, favourite Basham Brothers match? Uh, oh, ugh. I forgot they were a thing. I, I, I'll be really honest. <laughs> they with were you. part of JBL's cabinet later on, weren't they? Uh, and, as I recall, they look a lot like a rubbish version of Orkin and Burt. Uh, Lork- only Lorcan and, and Danny Birch now, as well, which is always odd as well because they're they're genuinely excellent. Um, the highlight of this match was the huge butt thump by Rikishi that saw Shelton Benjamin just sell it really well and go flying out the ring. <laughs> Bums are funny. Rikishi, of course, is the Usos' dad, isn't he? So, still going. Um, There were two women's matches on the card. The first was the first ever Playboy evening gown match. Sable and Tori Wilson versus Miss Jackie, Jackie Gader and Stacey Keebler. Um, Doctor, presumably, the upcoming Evolution pay-per-view will feature the second ever Playboy evening gown match. Fucking hell, I mean, seriously. (laughs) This entire thing. Uh, Sable looks lost from the very beginning. I don't think she knew where she was. It's all in, it's so uncomfortable to watch, and we've talked about it before in terms of demographic split of WWE viewership. They've always made a big deal of a third of their viewers being female. To listen to the raucous sound of that crowd when that match is announced, it makes me feel ill. It's really horrible, and that is one of the reasons why people don't feel, well, women don't feel comfortable going to wrestling. It's not, it's not a welcoming place necessarily. This is kind of laddish bants going on. Um, Cole and Taz talking about their penises for the entire match. That's just terrible. Um, Miss Jackie's a spoil sport for not taking her clothes off and not wanting to undress. That's terrible. And I don't know whether you saw, but there are men in the front row zooming in with their own personal cameras to take a picture of their asses uh, at the pin. Oh, God, everything is terrible. I hate people. The end. Carl, follow that. Uh, one of my notes say, Tori, get off her. Why would you spank her? Um, <laughs> Wrestling's weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I watched these two WrestleManias back-to-back on the weekend with uh, my two friends who currently wrestle. Um, I talk about them loads. One's called Tarquin, one's called Cordelia. That's their wrestler names. Um, Cordelia, head in hands anytime we're watching wrestling from this time period. Tarquin and I are sort of very sheepishly going, these matches pretty much introduced us to puberty. And it's one of those, oh, oh God. Oh, oh yeah, because this is your... It's a very weird sensation when you're in your late 20s, early 30s, knowing that that match existed because you were 
14, 15, and you didn't have access to internet pornography or couldn't find anything in a bush. So that was what you had. And you're oh, God, I've wrought terrible things upon this planet. I need a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anton, the other women's match, Victoria retained over Molly Holly in a hair versus title match. This was our first look at Victoria. There will be more. Why was their face shaving the the heel's head? I mean, that just seemed a little weird to me. And why did it carry on? Why? During the WWE title match entrances. Why was it so cruel? Why did anyone have to lose their hair for a start? It was just a title match. She was the number one contender. It wasn't. There wasn't anything particularly personal, I believe, in it's the a Japanese match type. Hair versus like a hair versus hair match is similar to mask versus mask. Yeah, but this is the title on the line. Hair matches are fine. Uh, what isn't fine is Lawler speaking at length about Molly Holly wearing granny panties to the point where JR's going. What are you doing talking about granny panties? What has that got to do with the match? Well, I think that kind of also points us towards what this match was about. There was a certain amount of resentment, maybe? Is that the right word? About Molly Holly. And it, also in commentary we get it with Lawler calling her a good girl, as if it's a negative thing, because Molly Holly didn't want to do some of the stuff like the Playboy evening gown matches. And that's what this match is about, is trying to humiliate her into possibly agreeing to do some of this other stuff. I did like at one point it looked like Molly Holly was gonna go screw it. I'm gonna shave your head. That was fun. that. Yeah. That would have been brilliant. That would have been a great sort of. I don't care. You no, know, if you're gonna be a heel, be a heel. But, been in a dustbin, a belt in a dustbin. Yeah, kind of yeah, thing, exactly. Yeah. But then, but then you're right. It, why did it take such an uncomfortably long time to shave her head? Why, when Kurt Angle is coming out to the ring for the for the World Heavyweight Championship match, is Molly Holly still having her head shaved? It's it's so. And then when you see. Guerrero come out. You're, you're seeing them eventually moving the, the chair off off stage. It's 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 so weird. Fair play to Molly. This, this is WrestleMania at Madison Square Madison Square Garden again. What is going on? Molly carries that gimmick afterwards with the shaved head. Really leans into it. Turn, like creates a sort of hardcore gimmick that I think AJ Lee has cited as like yeah this is this and Lita is part of why I wrestled the way I wrestled. Um, and I think Molly and Victoria are two of the lost women's wrestlers because the way WWE tells it now is we had a laundry blaze no then it was Trish and Lita no then it was the butterfly belt and we're kind of sorry and I've got the women's revolution and then you forget when you watch WrestleMania from this time that there are two matches and that very often the matches that had women wrestlers in are like wow huh and I feel really bad because I have I've haven't been watching these matches because when I was a child I was a terrible sexist who went to the toilet during these matches and now I'm an adult I didn't realise that they were good because WWE isn't telling me that Victoria was a thing and th- this match could have been these two are really good in the ring and it was over with the backslide and it, you feel they 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 should be cheated for that reason alone never mind actually you know what happened before and afterwards this is these these two were legitimately two very good wrestlers that you know, never really were given that sort of legit chance to shine. Which is why I think they brought Molly Holly back at the Rumble, the Women's Rumble this year. I I feel like a lot of that kind of, the the Women's Rumble and the evolution stuff and the way they're trying to start to rewrite history is a little way of saying that they're sorry without actually ever saying it properly. 
All right, we're wrapping up now. Also on the show, uh, we've got a rushed cruiserweight open where, keeping with the theme of the night, the champion retained Chava Guerrero, retaining his belt over Rey Mysterio, Akio, Billy Kidman, Funaki, Jamie Noble, Nunzio, Shannon Moore, Tajiri and Ultimo Dragon. Uh, for two points, can anybody tell me who Akio went on to be in WWE? Go on, go on. I was going to make a very bad Sinkara joke. Okay, it? no, it wasn't Sinkara. It could have been. Jimmy Wang Yang, remember him? That was Akio. Yeah, that's a really sort of slightly interesting little tidbit there. In terms of the Hall of Fame class, uh, this was star-studded if the Cruiserweight match was not. Inducted in 2004, Superstar Billy Graham, Sergeant Slaughter, Tito Santana, Harley Race, Jesse Ventura, Bobby Heenan, Big John Studd, Don Morocco and Junkyard Dog, oh, and Pete Rose, the first celebrity inductee. Mm. Um, lots to go out here. Everyone pick a person. Carl, you can go first. I'm really sorry I'm picking Bobby the Brain because obviously I'm going to pick Bobby the Brain. Bobby the Brain is the voice of pro wrestling. He is greatest com- commentator there has been in wrestling. He epitomized heel managers. Um, if you want, In the same way that if you want to show you're a bad guy, you stand next to Paul Heyman. That is maybe not even close to what you can get from standing next to Bobby the Brain. He, um, he could charm you with two or three lines. He could utterly destroy a wrestler in the ring for acting like an idiot. Um, some of the, my favourite things in wrestling forever is just him taking a massive dump on the Ultimate Warrior in the uh, full of the Ultimate Warrior DVD. Um, and it's just really nice how in his speech he just goes, I really wish Gorilla Monsoon was here. Because by all, from what I understand, he was also a pretty decent guy in wrestling. Probably not a decent guy. Somebody who I think comes across... Dick is the only word I can use to, <laughs> to sum up Jesse Ventura, who um, interviews Donald Trump oh, here. Um, is he still on Russia Today as well? Oh, he um, he's a card, isn't he? He was good yeah. in Predator. <laughs> it's true, yes, he was. Yeah, yeah I th- this was, again, it's kind of weird to watch in retrospect, this way that Ventura is kind of implying that he might run for president was next time round. Well, just after he was governor for yeah. the wasn't he? So. And you kind of think he's talking to Trump, and it's all very strange to watch. And the yes. in the White House for two thousand eight, they were eight years off. <laughs> um, Anton Harley Race, somebody who was before our time, but clearly had a massive influence on Triple H for one. He's a, he's a, a very significant figure in the history of of the company and, and American professional wrestling. In general. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? One of those sort of few voices, like a, you know, because you hear the you know, Dusty Rhodes, but he was obviously fundamental in the development and developmental sort of stages which Harley Race is kind of seen as the guy that certain moves are Harley Race moves certain belts are connected to Harley Race it's almost sort of when he was at his peak he was the guy that the other wrestlers look at and go that's the man I don't I may not owe him too much you know after he retired but my god he was the guy I wanted to be he's the guy I look back on I want to be Frequently on the famous podcast with Kot Cabana, when he was going, I might do this, I might do this, and he didn't know what to do. He used to go, I used to ask myself, what would Harley Race do? And it is, Harley Race is this weird mythological figure of like perfect macho alpha maleness to a lot of these wrestlers, which has led quite a few of them astray because Harley Race was, in the old fashioned way, just a hard bastard, like broken limbs, put your, pop your shoulder back in, keep working through the pain, do what the company had to do. Which in the weird wrestling business, great, but also it leads to a lot of the nasty underbelly of wrestling because there's a lot of desperate, broken men trying to live up to this ideal of Harley Race. Who I have no idea how that guy's still going because some of those stories are ridiculous. Mm. Um, one thing I always point like is scorched into my brain 
is the Harley Race promo, and he is offering out a bounty on Ric Flair. It's hundred thousand dollars. It's a briefcase full of it, and it's in that weird way where it's not hundred thousand dollars put out in the way that you expect it to be, with loads of hundred dollar bills and a fully stacked briefcase because it's actually quite thin. <laughs> and he's just really, really annoyed and goes, "Any human being, Kabuki, this one, this one, just someone take the money and take care of Flair, like." Dusty Rhodes hard times level of this is a very very annoyed man and I don't care if wrestling is choreographed or predetermined this is emotion and lots of legendary stories about Harley Race's uh, annual barbecue that he holds for wrestlers apparently at one of them CM Punk respects him so much that he drank a shot of booze they were doing a toast and uh, he likes Harley Race so much that yeah. he, he wasn't straight edge for a couple of seconds so that was Wrestlemania 20 a historically significant show in retrospect as it seemed at the time um, let's pick some Wrestlemania moments I'm going to go first Carrie before I throw to you I really like Brock sticking two fingers up at the crowd at the end of the match <laughs> I like you will never see me again yeah, God bless Brock. I'm going to go for Trish's elbow to Jericho's jaw to completely incapacitate him after he's actually just been wrestling for the previous 15 minutes. I'm going to go for that. All right, Carl? I want to have another Brock Lesnar moment. It's right at the start where Goldberg's doing his mean mugging and Brock Lesnar just goes, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Which, to this day, is my go-to when I'm playing rugby and someone's trying to intimidate me. Just, yeah! <laughs> you, you, what are you doing? We're, we're just very stupid men on a field why are you trying to intimidate me he was so full of hope though, he? <laughs> never got off the practice squad in Minnesota he had a broken jaw <laughs> uh, just... which is the thing like Brock Lesnar had a broken jaw got to the practice squad if he was fully fit I mean he'd have been man number 200 of 285 but that's ridiculous what was they? What was it that Taz called him once um, Albino Incredible Hulk once which was like Taz you're a terrible commentator but every now and again you really know how to describe a large man <laughs> Anton, have you got a WrestleMania moment? Yeah, it's it's during the Evolution uh, Foley Rock match where uh, Ric Flair tries to imitate the people's elbow and he's just staggering around like kind of electrocuted pterodactyl, sort of making news, noises and sort of jolting sort of arm movements and then obviously gets stopped before he gets to zero. But you think, oh, Flair, you are wonderful. <laughs> right, next week we'll be at Safeco Field in Seattle, Washington for WrestleMania 19, for which the official theme song was Crack Addict by Limp Biscuit. Ah, WWE. Right then, um, Twitter plugs, Carrie. Carrie Sparkle. Carl. Anchorman 616. Anton. At Sky Anton. I am at Matt Davis FC. We are at the PU Podcast. Rate, review, share, and subscribe. Until next time, I've been Matt Davis Adams, and you've been in Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.